Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. Welcome back to another of these tent talks. The part of tent theology that has to do with renewing the social and political imagination but we don't just talk about it. We also like to do it, Oh yeah. which is why I go and find people who you just heard his voice there. <laughs> I go and find people who are not just academics scratching their beards and thinking about things. They are people who are scratching their beards and getting on with doing it. And I'm looking at a really good beard right now. <laughs> Graham Singh, uh, the Reverend Graham Singh is the, the rector. He'll probably tell me differently. The rector pastor of St. Jack's in Montreal. And he is also the CEO of the Trinity Centers Foundation, whose tagline is, we transform, transform church properties for community impact. We're going to hear all about this and more, and also about that beard, Graham Singh. <laughs> Welcome to the show. You know, I used to think, Stephen, that if my beard grew too long, I would not get through airports. You right. Know, that they would, I would be security screened. Um, but now I don't have to go through airports anymore. So, you know, we can just let it grow. But I, I think I've, have I think I've been, stabilized. Have you been sort of racially profiled and security screened before? You know, I always make that joke. And because I'm half Scottish and half Indian, I, I somehow get through the screens. I've never, ever been stopped. <laughs> and, and with so many things on the racial themes that I, I hope we'll get into as we think about church property. Yeah. Uh, I, I am very blessed being a, a bit of a mixed uh, ethnicity, I, I've never been screened that way. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, boy, we went we went straight into the uh, complex issues right there. But we, let's step back a bit. First of all, you are a Canadian, but you spent a significant amount of time in the UK. So tell us a bit of your story. And now you're back in Canada again. So tell us a bit of your geographical yeah location. and yeah and if 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 we go back to the the beard and mixed ethnicity i mean i think this is yep. the story of europe it's the story of the british empire it's definitely the story of uh colonialism and the establishment of north american church buildings which is a big theme for us mm -hmm. and it was through that kind of colonialism my family came together and and so for me being born in canada with a father from guyana in south america but originally indian my mother from uh, Scottish, British, uh, Scottish English uh, roots, going back to the UK for studies was a kind of natural magnet. And so yeah. I, I ended up going to the London School of Economics and studying uh, decolonization and, and what had happened in my father's country in Guyana. And uh, that was for a master's degree. And it, was, and it was then after that time that I found myself walking through past the doors of Holy Trinity Brompton and, uh, and really where the Lord found me and where my okay. faith came back alive again. So the UK, 14 years total, huge part of our story being back there. And then, so you were uh, helping to run churches. You'd, you'd planted a couple of churches in the UK, in London. Yeah, so they were at that time, uh, Holy Trinity Brompton and the Diocese of London and eventually the Church of England starting this whole new team, reopening closed churches and okay. uh, started the new ordination program that lots of your listeners will know about, which became St. Melitus College. And mm -hmm. uh, I was in the first year of that group and ordained as part of that experiment. And uh, yeah, went to lead, uh, was, was the curate at Holy Trinity Swiss Cottage and, and the, the leader of St. John's Hampton Wick. And it was uh, through those amazing experiences being part of the HTB church planting team that my heart began to yearn and long for how could we see this happen back in my, my native, uh, my homeland of Canada. And that's how we ended up back in Canada. Before we get to, I definitely want to talk about Montreal, but before we get to that, 
not everyone who listens will be familiar with the with the church planting uh, idea that you that you were following through the HTB kind of world. Can you tell us a little bit about what that entailed? What was the vision yeah? There? So of course, every Christian should know about church planting from the book of Acts and the, the gift of the Holy Spirit being the ultimate force behind church planting and the, the multi-ethnic nature of Pentecost mm. uh, leading to that first church planting movement. Yep. And then, of course, every denominational background has its stories of planting into new territories. But a lot of what we experience as the church now comes from denominations that were pretty much set in place uh, by the time of the Second World War, we're kind of playing out the end life of, of uh, I believe, of a lot of those groups uh, and into something new for the global mm. church. But the idea of church planting, as we meant it, from within those historic European denominations really meant what in global terms is called replanting, of taking an existing place and closing it down what was happening, which probably wasn't working. Maybe numerically there was there were very few people left. Or in terms of ministry, there was, there was no discernible fruit and say, hold on, let's stop that. And let's start again. And I often joke that with with Holy Trinity Brompton, you know, the church planting model really was, you know, get get you know some guy who knows how to play the guitar, ideally, uh, and a couple of alpha videos and and an old building. Take the pews out and 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 you're off. <laughs> right. And the message was, you know, we'll see you at a conference later later in the year. We hope you do well. You know, here's a few people to help you get going. And you know, the amazing thing is that model really worked. And of course, there's more to it than that. But that that was really. And, and continues to be what I see as as some of the basic building blocks of church. Book of Acts, uh, a guy with a guitar, some alpha videos, old building. You got yeah. you got yourself a church. <laughs> I mean, the Book of Acts. If I mean the the difference between us now and Acts then is, of course, Christendom. And so, what you are doing is really you are reigniting or or repopulating some of the shells or the empty buildings left to us by Christendom. So. Christianized buildings are now having Christians in them once again. And I've learned so about, much. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, tell us about Montreal. Well, and I was, I was just, I will tell you about Montreal. And I just wanted to just say how much I've learned from you on this issue of powers and principalities, the Christianized, you know, Christendom, thinking deeply about those structures. And it's, it's actually since, you know, our friendship, which goes back a good few years now, uh, it, it has really helped me, Stephen, to think back through the colonizing process of the Reformation and the you know the the the, the usurping a co-opting of catholic buildings to form the magisterial reformation forming these uh, new reformed churches across europe but then some folks deciding that's not far enough we need to we need a whole new country we right. need to get over to the new world whether it be montreal or new york or boston right. and the problem was the problems of christendom got exported and in some yeah. case made worse in North America, because instead of being a Dutch reformed person who has to live next to a Dutch Catholic person, you can go and form your own whole town. And it's all based on your Christendom yeah. views. So Christendom yeah. has died out in North America in a, in a way that's almost more intense than it has been in Europe. And Montreal, certainly, you know, they're, they're, Mark Twain once said, you could throw a rock in Montreal and hit a hundred churches. It was populated by, you know, Irish, French Catholic, the British, you know, as in the English had their own yeah. thing. The Scottish have a big presence in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those old historical places in, uh, in town. So it's a joy to be here. I love to tell you all about it. I love Montreal. I, 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 I lived there for a couple of years and I have regular contact with Montreal. Uh, how did you get called to Montreal? You're living in London. You're working away with a trendy vicar with a guitar strapped to your back and you're <laughs> playing alpha videos all over the place. 
Well, for one thing, during that time, I had the great privilege of meeting my wife, Celine, in London, who's from France. And I had grown up in a French language school. And so the French language was something important for our family. Montreal, of course, is part of the French-speaking part of Canada. Mm. And it's one of the places where the, the, you know, the decline of the church has been more intense. And that was something we looked for, to say, if we're going to get going with a replanting or figuring out what we do next you know, for the church kind of movement, let's go to some of the harder ground. And of course, the French language limits a lot of people who, who, who aren't able to kind of bite in here. So we thought, come on, let's give it a go. And it was, it was a prophetic dream as well to say, Lord, you know, send us where you need us to go. And we, we really had a sense that Canada, for one, but eventually, uh, after a short time in my hometown in Ontario, we ended up back in, in, uh, in Montreal that way. So family-wise, it's been a great joy to be mm. here. Missionally speaking, what, one of the really interesting things with Quebec is a funny little movement that actually, as you think about it now, applies to a lot of parts of the Western world, where they had what they called the Quiet Revolution. The Quiet Revolution was against the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. against anybody who did not speak the French language, particularly Anglophones, and against any outside power as well. Mm -hmm. you know, and now we look at, for instance, Republicans in the U.S., and, and we, we sometimes, those who feel part of that community, others make fun of them. Um, but the idea of American exceptionalism, and we want to be on our own, leave us alone to our own right. thoughts, right. is something that actually we're seeing in a lot of places in the world. Yeah. In Quebec, the theme song, it goes, Jean du pays, c'est notre tour de vous laisser parler d'amour. Now is men of the country or men of the countryside. Now it's our turn. Yeah. Let us speak of love. Yeah. And you look at the number of people around the world who are saying, we want to speak of love. We don't want the church telling us. We don't want anybody. We want to express our own views. So Quebec is that kind of place. And I find I have never been in a more fruitful place for the gospel than this place. Okay. I mean, Montreal, well, Quebec is really interesting. Did I, did I ever tell you about the, when I was at McGill, which is the, the Anglo University in Montreal, for listeners that don't know that, I did my master's at McGill. And I, I had the privilege of learning, teaching, being taught by some Roman Catholic professors. One of them, he, was, he, he had been commissioned by the Roman Catholic diocese to investigate or to look at what to do with all the buildings, the, the religious buildings that they were in charge of in, in Quebec, because uh, s people who study secularism or the secularized kind of phenomenon, they look at Quebec as, as their case study because it's the fastest, most rapid case of secularization that we have, where I think in, you know, Something like 1970, there were 94% church attendance. And then in 1976, it had gone down to 14% or something. I mean, it was mm. just as a result of this quiet revolution that you've described. And, uh, and so <laughs> this guy's name is uh, Gregory Baum, was a, a theologian. And he had been asked to, uh, to do some research into what should we do with all our buildings. And Baum went and did his, his work. And he came back and he said to his overseers, um, he said, I think we should get rid of them or we should do something different with them because right now we are telling a lie. Because mm. if someone comes to Montreal, they will see lots and lots and lots of Roman Catholic churches. And this is not a Roman Catholic city. <laughs> so we are right now telling a lie. Mm. And, uh, and he recommended that they radically rethink what to do with their buildings. And his advice was ignored <laughs> and put into a shelf. <laughs> And still today, there are lots and lots and lots of Roman Catholic buildings, which are empty and uh, are not, it is not a Roman Catholic city. 
And, uh, you know, I, I found Baum's is very interesting that he said, we got to be honest. We have to be, we have to start with honesty and our buildings and our geography is telling a lie right now. And it seems like you've been sort of brought into that. That's the stat, the context you've been brought into. And there's a great echo of that same statement from one of the uh, leaders in the Church of England that maybe some of your listeners know. He, he's recently retired. His name was Stefan Welch. He was the Archdeacon of Middlesex, who okay. works with the Bishop of Kensington in the kind of west part of London. And he had an amazing statement. He said, you know, an empty church is to its city like the empty palace of a long forgotten king. Pardon right. me, a closed church is to its city, yeah. like the empty okay. palace of a long forgotten king. And it sounds like a very similar sentiment than the, to the one you just described. But it, you know, this, these kind of thinkers, one of the things that has really, that I've struggled with like crazy in my, my own uh, doctoral studies, which has stretched on <laughs> for a long time. Um, I one day will introduce you as Dr. Reverend Dr. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> well, we'll see where, where this goes. But the, you know, one of the things that's been very frustrating, and I love that you have comic books behind your, um, in your background, Stephen, instead of all the millions of books that you've either read or written or, <laughs> or you know, been asked to review. Um, one of the things about what's been written, about what do we do with all this, the, the riches of Christendom, yeah. is over the past 50 years, there have been prophetic voice after prophetic voice calling for a radical giving back of these resources. Yeah. And these aren't, ra- these aren't sideshow Bob people. These are serious thinkers from within these movements who've been asking for this. And the system itself has eaten this thought alive. As in, there's some things that I could, I could show you that were written 50 years ago, but what to do with the disposal of church building assets yes. that you, you would think were written today. Yes. Yes. And they've just been, it's not that they've been ignored, they've been heard, yeah. but the system itself is actually part of a system of, of course, very many good things about the way we use money and the way we can invest and think, I, I don't mean to critique capitalism as a whole, but when greed gets in and greed is the factor that has a life of its own, yeah. you know, it becomes that hidden power, as you say, that, that actually it's controls us. That dominates the yeah, yeah, it's in its wrong place. In fact, what happens is those buildings must be sold on the market. They need to be yeah. put on the market. And as soon as they go to the market, guess what? They will always favor residential development over anything mm-hmm. related to community or another faith group, et cetera. And this is why, to a large extent, we have not seen the 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 billions and billions in the u.s it's half a trillion dollars worth of property value uh in the in in los angeles alone the university of california at berkeley recently published a study saying that over three thousand acres of prime land in los angeles was eligible that was owned by the church should mm-hmm. be used for affordable housing just in los angeles three thousand acres can you imagine what you could do with three thousand acres in los angeles another you know? disneyland <laughs> it could be another disneyland or you could actually create homes for the poor you know that, which sounds like an interesting gospel compatible concept. So imagine is, that. Yeah, yeah, this this is something that people, you know, I, I really believe you can keep throwing new ideas at some of these things. Yeah, but before you do that, you need to dismantle things that are going to kill any new idea, and they'll keep okay. doing it. So you're sitting. You've been invited to Montreal. I'm going back. Yeah, Graham, saying this is your life. You've been in, you you're back in Montreal. You've taken over an Anglican church building in the center of the city. Yes. You're rebuilding a congregation from the inside out and it's going well. And you've, you've tried, uh, you, you've also tried a, uh, an experiment, a radical experiment for a Canadian theologian to come and live for a couple of weeks with this little community. 
And, uh, and at the end of that, you decide to call it Tent Theology. I would like to reveal now that Tent Theology was Graham Singh's idea. This name. Oh, bless you. I remember the street corner where we where you said it. It was it was slush on the corner, and I was about to step into slush, and you kind of pulled me back. I think we should call it Tent Theology. Well, it was. It's been a great privilege to journey with you and Claire on that this, Stephen. This know. is a sidetrack. This is a sidetrack. I'm not fishing for any sort of compliments here. What I'm saying is, let's go back to. So you're yeah. running this church. It's it's rebuilding from the inside out, and then Trinity Centers Foundation. Tell yeah. us what this is. Because this is what we're starting to well, now talk about. Part, part of that experiment was we said, look, where do we see cities in the built environment and holy spaces, sacred spaces in the scriptures? I mean, if we got yeah. this wrong, how do we go back and rethink it? Yeah. And we, we started really thinking about the temple and realizing the temple was a partly a, a marketplace, meaning a community place, only a yeah. place of commerce. Yeah. Uh, and the idea that, and these buildings have that history as well. They were places yeah. where entire communities gathered. So we began to say, what if we, and I, I, at first I was embarrassed by this concept. What if we kind of lower the consecrated space level and increase the community? And we yeah. ended up coming with this phrase like, what does it look like to do partial temporary deconsecration? You know? right. And somebody's like, how do you do this? They say, well, you call the bishop <laughs> and then yeah. you pray and say, okay, Lord, please, I'm going to let a circus company into the sanctuary today. Lord, help me. Yeah. <laughs> and then on Sunday, say, I hope they really didn't do anything weird in here while I was gone. Uh, we're going to have communion now. You know, uh, and then we reconstruct. We're going to radically yeah. withdraw our will to make space for other wills. Yeah. And guess Kenosis what? Guess what? Yeah. More people. I mean, yeah. not only did they come in, more people were saying, what is this? Do you seriously believe that this guy from 2000 years ago is God? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? You know? So you started then, opening up the building to like city groups and... The circus and the, and the circus, and, you know, uh, I mean, we, we, we said at one point I came in the church and I saw these six men with very large beards and turbans and all the lights off inside the sanctuary of the church. I thought, I have no idea who these people are. <laughs> um, and in the end, they were connected to the refugee charity that's based out of our building. And yeah. they were Syrian men preparing for a theatrical presentation for uh -huh. World Refugee Day of what it was like leaving Syria. And it was uh -huh. absolutely essential that all the lights were off. Yeah, in yeah. this building, you know, and this, the more we give up our building and it's a big, yeah. iconic, beautiful building in the center of Montreal. It's, 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 yeah, it's right that. there in the middle yeah. of everything. Yeah. The more we give it up, the better things go for everything. Yeah. And it was out of that, that we said, hold on, we're on to something here and we should probably talk more about it. But what this thing is, is actually secular more than sacred. Mm -hmm. And the sacred is reemerging out of the secularity of what we're trying to do here. So we said, let's call this thing Trinity Centers, Trinity Centers Foundation. And I began asking the question, who else is asking this question in Canada? Yeah. And before you know it, we had 50 people on our board of advisors who were theologians, financiers, urban planners, architects, um, all kinds of people who've been trying to help with this. Often they're people who are on church boards. Mm -hmm. They've often got expertise that often in churches we're not willing to listen to because we keep wanting to put it through this old, this old church lens that we have. Yeah. So before yeah. you know it, we had these incredible people and, and we've ended up forming what I think uh, somebody said to me the other day, they said, Graham, I think you have every Christian lawyer, major significant senior Christian lawyer in Canada on your team. I thought, <laughs> I don't think that's the case, but it's something close to like a so, black hole for Christian lawyers. Yeah, but you know, one of these lawyers, he called me up. We, he wasn't on our team originally. And right. he said, he said, I demand to be on your team yeah. because for my entire Christian life 
and he's the municipal land specialist for the second largest, I think, or third largest law firm in Canada. He said, for my entire Christian and professional life, I have been praying and working on how the concept of Jubilee should apply yeah. to Canada's closed churches. How should these buildings yeah. be given back to the communities they came from? Yeah. And I thought, hold on, there are gifts that God has given that yeah. we've not created an assembly point for. And that's, yeah. that's really what the Trinity Centers is. And you don't use, the, I've, I've noticed that you don't use the language so much of failure. It's more like these buildings were faithfully tended to by generations and let's preserve their, let's use this memory, the thing they built, let's continue to use it well, you know, rather than see them as an utter failure. Sometimes it's more like the time has come for that, this building that we tended to put it to good use, you know, to continue the good things. That yeah, you can look at it that way. The, the other way you could look at it, if you look at it from an urban planning point of view, a property yeah. development point of view is much more mundane, okay. right? As you look at old country estates that you're, yeah. you're you know and you're part of the you know and i know you're kind of partly in the uk and partly in canada but down in the southeast of england you've got big old country estates yeah. where the lord of the manor downton abbey style decided that really the servants ought to you know have their own land and maybe he could sell them some land and he began he begins to develop the land I think well what do you need to create community mm -hmm. around this developed land that you yourself are going to benefit from well, you've got mm -hmm. to build a church. It's essential. Okay, build a market okay. around the church. Then, then eventually, as democracy comes, you build, you know, town halls and things yeah, like that. Right. Libraries. So they've always been part of urban development plans. And and, and frankly, the Lord of the Manor, the idea yeah. of a property developer who yeah. puts a faith community in the heart of a place where he wants to sell houses, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> it has been ever thus. This is Christendom. This is Christendom, where buildings and land. Uh, you know, the Christian sort of label becomes go back to Nehemiah. Fabric. Go back to Nehemiah. Why did Nehemiah? Why was Nehemiah given so much money to rebuild Jerusalem? Is it purely because the king took pity on okay. the cupbearer, or is it because Jerusalem was yeah. needed as a waypoint for yeah. all commercial, yeah. you know, all commerce in the area? Without Jerusalem running, you've got a major logistical problem. So, I mean, I'm starting to look at every bit, you know, bait. you look at all the building of cities in the Old Testament, you look at the way that Paul dealt with the Roman geography, and you realize cities in the built environment have been an integral part of the story of God's people. This is not a side issue, yeah, you know, right. and as we start thinking some parts of evangelicalistan in America, you, know, you yeah. kind of think, well, we don't need a building for anything. We don't need, we can just be a house church. That's fine. You can be, but don't forget the story, the way the story has worked is that yeah. this message has come through its urban context yeah. yeah, for as long as the church has been around. You know, it does, the story begins in a garden, but it does end in a city. The last, the last geographical place in the book of Revelation is a city. <laughs> and it's a good city. It's yeah. a beautiful, perfected city and something we should, you know, that, that calls us into that future, I believe. So are you using the language of urban regeneration or urban mission what do you what do you think you're doing when you when you help put these buildings back into circulation you know what's one of the most fun things i've done recently is a a, a very good group called the canadian urban institute and it's um and they're working on a thing called the future of main street and i remember talking to somebody at a conference uh i know exactly who the person is but i won't reveal their name just for their privacy but who you know i said to him uh, i can say his name is john <laughs> and I said, John, uh, you know, how are you doing? What's going on these days? And he said, you know, Graham, I'm just dreaming of a radical new future for the British High Street. And that was 10 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, and that's at a Christian conference. 
And so the future of the way we live together on the high street or the village green or the, you know, main street, where whichever geography you're in, uh, that's what I think, I, I think some of those fruitful conversations are happening yeah. in, in those spaces. Tell us how the Trinity Centers actually works. What's the plan? Well, the plan, I mean, a couple of other themes that I think may, might be helpful for your listeners just to understand what's gone into it. I mean, one of the other big themes on there is, is racial justice. Okay. Uh, because you look at how these build, and when you follow the line on here, it's not easy to, it's not hard to figure this one out, right? If you yeah. came over as a Dutch church or Scottish church or French church, you yeah. got land yeah. as yeah. part of the Lord of the Manor gave you that to build your North American city. Well, guess what? If you're a Somali Muslim and you came over 10 years ago, nobody yeah. gave you an acre of land in downtown Montreal. Yes. Right. <laughs> so yeah. there, there is a racial justice issue and i think we need to think about that very deeply these yeah. days it's not a side note uh in in, in north america you got a first nations issue what we, what yeah. we think of as as aboriginal peoples first nations peoples and so how does it work first of all we've been saying let's just spend some time thinking in this area let's gather and listen to people who and we've been doing a lot of writing a lot of listening a lot of sharing people you know what they're doing but one of the things that may happen and it's one of the things we're working on is that we actually create a new social impact investment fund mm -hmm. that while the churches are divesting of these sites and your friend, the Catholic friend who wrote about the history of it, well, the reality in his same Roman Catholic church in, in Montreal and in Quebec, they're just putting the churches on the market. I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah. still what's they happening. Yeah. One of the questions is who's going to buy them? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, could we do that? And are, are some of Canada's charitable foundations interested in joining us in buying some of those sites and turning them into places that are radically shared by Canada's charities and nonprofits? Mm -hmm. So th that's one of the places we're going is that idea. And, and so the question would be, well, what do you gain if you invest in that kind of a fund? Well, you're not going to make a lot of money, but you will create a huge amount of impact. How do we measure impact towards, for instance, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the theme I think is going to come out of COVID of how do we talk about using the capital we have for the kind of society we want to see, not just granting towards things, but investing in the right things. That's one of the things we're working on is creating that kind of a fund. And it's, it's the crazy version <laughs> of what we're doing. Um, so you want a fund to buy all the old church buildings in Canada or the best, the best ones. Yeah. And the most hilarious thing is that some of the church's own pension funds yeah. are the ones looking to support us in doing this. As in they're realizing we can't just liquidate these assets. We're, no. we're responsible for far more than that. Yeah. But thinking about finances at an institutional level is something the church used to be very good at. Yeah. But it ceased to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the church is awful at thinking of institutional finance right now. And I think, gosh, you know, Stephen, there's never been a place more needy of your voice in this, of saying we've got to get this right. We've got to be sound in our hearts. We can't be greedy. We've got to understand how to do this because it, we, we have to rebuild the world after COVID. And if yeah. we as the church aren't going to lead, lead with the assets we have, yeah. you know, you, you talked about a lie, a, a mm -hmm. Christian lie. Well, there's another lie available to us. You know, if you follow God, God will guide the way you use your resources. He will, he will build you into the kind of person who's helping to create that new heavenly city in the book of revelations. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the evidence of that in yeah. Christian pocketbooks? Yeah. You know, or, or, or land holdings even more yeah. importantly. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the use that people are making of the gifts they've already got. They've, they're staring right at it. 
they're staring at all these buildings in this land and it was part of the community it was it was it's a central part of the building of the city and yet they're now just selling them off and i think the concept of jubilee speaks to that uh, right and for, for 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 listeners who maybe are newer and, and i know you've you know there there are those who have tuned in to the various kind of Stephen Backhouse channels who are very, very new to faith. And I think that's a very important thing that I've learned from working with you, Stephen, is that when we set about studying theology deeply, actually those who have no idea about who God is are immediately attracted. You know, this is not a thing for just the experienced Christians or thinkers. Mm. Uh, Actually, those who are experienced with life are desperate to learn and see how do those who follow Christ actually deal with some of this stuff. So I would say the Trinity Center's foundation, we've got that in the background. At the same time, we've been open to learning from other faiths and other faith backgrounds in that space. Mm -hmm. And the more we do that, I think the more authentic of a Christian I actually become personally. Because you're not trying to, you're not trying to put a Christian community inside every one of these buildings again. That's not the plan, is it? That's not what's going on here. We probably will, uh, but we're working with one community in Toronto that's a Unitarian community. We're helping them uh, merge with a community theater that's gone bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the congregation in that case will join. Um, in that case, I don't think there will be a Christian community in that place, but there will be a Unitarian one. In most of the places that we uh, are working on, there there is very likely that those will be ideal places for Christian church plants. Okay, so it'd be a like a multi-use, a multi-use site. Exactly. And they're they're willing to extend or withdraw their sacred space depending on the need of the of the week. <laughs> well, here's something unique, uh, not unique, but here's something a little bit special about North America is that the the most thriving churches in North America are in fact in rented facilities. Yeah. So our big theater company in Canada, Cineplex Odeon, twenty five percent of their non film business is actually renting to churches. I love and that. And those churches yeah. thrive. Get, guess yeah. what? Because those buildings, they've got loads of toilets. Yeah, that that work and they're cleaned. Yeah, right. Uh, hashtag COVID means cleaner, cleaner <laughs> toilets. Uh, it's not a very good hashtag, but they have parking. They have doors that open when you say they're going to open. Yeah, you know the, the children's ministry. Of Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. It's yeah, perfect. It, it, <laughs> and you look at this and think, hold on, what if church actually works better when we don't control the space? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Jesus yeah. didn't control a lot of the spaces he ministered from. Yeah. He did in other times. He took control of certain, very few key spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that the church would become a renter in its own building, in which it may also be an investor, mm-hmm. I think is a healthy shift. Yeah. And are you seeing it? T- tell us some stories of where you're seeing this happen already. You already mentioned the Unitarians. What about some other churches or buildings you've seen this happening? We, we've got some... Uh, I mean, in, in Toronto, there's one church called Trinity St. Paul's where they have hundreds of charities and nonprofits meeting out of that space. There's just mm-hmm. such a thriving life. There's yeah. another center in New York called the Judson, and they call it the Judson Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts. Now you f- just think about the people that you meet, the, the people you have a pint with, uh-huh. who are the, 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 the God seekers, they are the question askers. Are they more likely to want to go to uh, the Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts? Uh-huh. Or to a church plant. <laughs> exactly. They're not going to go to a church plant. But, but we they, have they, alpha videos and guitars. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it, yeah. it, so some of those places there, um, we, we're also seeing now, we have one church in Calgary that has a, a four acre site right on a light rail transport line. Mm-hmm. That's enough of a space to, to house when developed. 
to house tens and tens of thousands of people. Four yeah. acres is a lot of space in a city. Yeah. Yeah. And that church has prophetically wanted to hand that space to the community and say, we want to lead in our yeah. city by doing that. Yeah. Some amazing examples that way. Um, I would say with, you know, with St. Jack's, with Quebec, there are a lot of people asking, how could we make this work? How could we create a new home for charities? There's a group here that represents the charitable sector mm. to wider society. And there are, like Stephen, I, I, one-fifth of, can, of Ontario's nonprofit corp, corporations, one-fifth, 20%, mm. will close this year as a mm. result of COVID. Yeah. And I can only imagine that proportion will be seen in the UK, in the US, elsewhere. I really think right now we're going to see a lot of charities and nonprofits need to radically reduce their expenditure and sharing space. We're seeing a lot of people, more than we can count or handle, are, are talking about how we could do this. So the Trinity Centers will own these buildings or receive rent from them? How does this work? Yeah, we're working on a couple of things. I mean, for one thing, we're doing just consulting with people we're saying you, you as right. a church community you own your building you're yeah. going to continue to own yeah. it how could we help you shape this building and we'll we have do a project. army of experts who yeah yeah and, and and in some cases they're open to a church plant from within their own denomination or perhaps they they're not even at the church part they're just thinking about the building so we're mm. doing some where we are the consultant um we're doing others where we're saying to the investment funds we're saying what if we could present you a portfolio of say 50 buildings that would look like a b c d and they're saying well Show us a few more of those buildings. So we're going back to some of the building owners and saying, what if, you know, so there's a bit of chicken and egg going on. And, and, and so whether we help an existing owner as a consultant or the fund idea does take off and it works or heaven forbid denominations were to radically, radically reshape the way they themselves hold their mm-hmm. properties, mm-hmm. Um, we will be able to intervene or help contribute in, in any of those instances. Yeah, yeah. Are you finding, I mean, is the ice thawing <laughs> when it comes to some of these denominations and how, how tightly they clutch their stuff? Yeah, I, I don't want to get too personal on this yeah. with leaders, but I will a little bit. <laughs> there, there, are the, there are the kind of types of bishops who really are in the last five years of their life and they're getting ready for retirement themselves and they want to not rock the boat too much and they just want to get through that period. Yeah. And they know that the next wave coming will have to deal with some of these problems. Yeah. Well, now we're seeing denominational leaders and senior church leaders who, who know they are that next wave. Yeah. You know, they are the ones who are going to be in place for 10, 15, 20 years. And during yeah. that time, this radical change is going to happen. Musical chairs. The music has stopped and they are the yeah. ones. Yeah. And some of them are, are close friends where I've looked them in the eye. I've said, if you are elected bishop, you must swear to do the following things. A, B, C. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a number of contracts from them signed to say, you promised you would do this. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's only a partial <laughs> joke. Um, I only probably have three of those types of contracts signed. <laughs> but, you know, I think actually I, I trust those who are coming up in leadership in the church, in the UK, in the US, in Canada. Uh, there are some good people, but we need to hit this from financial and capital management from that angle because without that there are no leaders that can can beat their treasurer if the treasurer is not properly instructed Mm -hmm. and this is about changing policy Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. say hold on this was these are not our lands these these lands were given for the creation of community 
-hmm. In the same way as in the Old Testament, the lands that were given to the tribes for use for the creation of the nation of Israel were given for the creation of the nation of Israel. They weren't given for private gain. Yeah. But then private gain was allowed and was mitigated by Jubilee, by the yeah. idea that these go back. So, yeah, I see the ice melting. I also see church leaders set in their proper place of saying, hold on, not only are you saying Montreal is not a Christian city, well, the Western world is not largely a Christian place. Yeah. And Christendom is looking increasingly foolish. Yeah. And if we could really dismantle our Christendom approach yeah. and go back to something that looks a little bit more, I don't want to say looks more like Jesus time because that gets us all into a lot of trouble. Yeah. But the idea that we, we are in a minority position. Yes. If yeah. we could do that while still holding these incredible riches in yeah. land assets, yeah. I think the world will thaw to us. Yeah. Um, and we're Stop the ones who put their backs up. Space. I mean, we, yeah. we help... We Christians help build the space, but it doesn't mean we should keep dominating it. Yeah, what's what's happening? Tell us about your your home community. Tell us about St. Jack's. What do you? What does it feel like to be a a Christian community in the heart of one of the world's most secular and vibrant and cool cities? So St. Jack's, we we got a guy with a guitar and a couple of alpha videos and an old church took the pews out and we yeah. saw a church take shape. But we 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 um. And I'm really not exaggerating, but God provided an amazing team. And one of the things I started to learn uh, in the, the later years of my time in London, you know, it's possible that the movement of church planting from around Holy Trinity Brompton is really exceptional from a global standpoint. You're probably talking about a hundred churches now mm -hmm. that, you know, from the, the churches that have been planted. And one of my questions coming over to Canada was, is this just because HTB is really, really great? You know, is it, is that what's planting these churches? Right. Or is it God? <laughs> and Montreal was a great experiment on that. Thinking, okay, Lord, it's just, there's just a few of us here. We don't have any mothership to help us out. And then God provided all the same people with the same kinds of gifts. And I thought, Holy Spirit, this is you. This is you planting these churches. It was you all along. And, and I'm really excited about that because God has brought people in. He's brought church refugees people who've been wounded by the church, also those who have been longing, waiting for this time, as well as those who have no Christian connection. You know, I have a, a great friend who's probably tuning in, Caroline Filler, who uh, marks, you know, a friendship between you and I and Caroline was such a pivotal part of our first tent theology, wasn't she? Yeah. And she's, she's somebody who comes from well outside of that tradition. Yeah. And so the community has grown with a broad, diverse group. Caroline, Caroline's actually gone to help another church in our diocese, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of other things that maybe mark out our community. I think we, we might be seen as quite a liberal community, but we're, I don't really think that's a great phrase. What I mean by that is there are more different people in our community than you, you might otherwise expect. Yeah. And at first I thought that was St. Jack's. And then, I, and then I looked at a lot of other friends who I kind of thought were more conservative. And I'd call them and I'd say, listen, I, I got to tell you, man, we, we got a lot of weird people in our church. Yeah. You know? And in fact, I invited them in. <laughs> and now they're in charge of stuff. And I, should I feel bad? And I'm just finding more and more church leader friends around saying, we've done the same thing. And, it, and it's really good for everybody. And... Um, what I don't mean is that the Bible isn't full of incredible, important messages about holiness and prayer. It is. But I think the redefinition 
or restating of what holiness is in this time has been a part of what our community has been about. I also think um, during COVID, we've really missed each other. And I think a lot of churches have experienced that where you think, gosh, church community is actually really, really good. You know, when you're with people who are different from you, you're turning yourself away from yourself and towards God. And so uh, we found that at first people kind of called us crazy. How are you planting a church in Montreal? This is insane. You know, this is a secular place. And, and more and more people have been coming to check it out. And so I think coming out of COVID, we have no idea. It could be that things really don't work well for a whole bunch of reasons, or it could be that we see a whole new wave of fruitfulness for the church. So we're downtown. I think we, we're the kind of church where if there are a few chairs out of place on Sunday morning because the circus was in there performing until four o'clock in the morning, our, our, we don't have people in the church who get really upset about that. They kind of put the chairs back to where they need to be and we get on with it. And when I say circus, by the way, I'm not talking about lions and tigers kind of thing. It's, it's acrobatics. It's artistic dance it's really part of montreal where Cirque du soleil is born out of montreal and uh so the idea that we 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 celebrate church with a circus trapeze over our heads you know over the kind of communion table uh kind of marks out the kind of people that we are um, and anybody listening should come and visit and yes that's true you should and tell us about i mean you did mention in passing that your eternal doctorate what what kind of work are you thinking about what's occupying the the mind of Graham Singh these days when he gets away from bank balances and Trinity Center industrial infrastructure. Yeah. Well, one of the funny things was with the original Doctor of Ministry Studies that I started at Asbury Seminary, which is an amazing place in Kentucky, uh, one of the big Methodist the, uh, um, seminaries who offered me a beautiful full scholarship to start my doctoral mm-hmm. studies there, was how much of this there actually is in the scripture. Uh, the, the, these issues of how we deal and steward the resources we have mm-hmm. is not about giving Sunday in a church and how to tithe of your salary to pay for the local church. Yeah. You know, there's a heck of a lot more in the Bible about this. A lot more than just tithing. Yeah. Yeah. But then where I ended up going was realizing if I don't speak to the treasurer of the pension fund, we're not going to win this. And where I realized this was going was this area of impact finance. And I think a lot of institutional investment funds, family foundations, et cetera, are thinking about that. So in the end, what ended up happening is uh, our local university here, Concordia University said, look, Graham, if you're struggling to kind of fit all this within the band of what you're calling theology, perhaps we could give you the whole university to spend some time on and, and give you an independent PhD program and bring your work over to there. And, uh, and, and that will allow me to partly focus mm. my work in the, in the business school um, and also in the School of Urban Geography and, and Urban Planning and look at that. And that could be, this could be the most insane decision of my life. It might not even be a good one. It's not fully done yet, but, but the, um, I have graduated with a certificate of postgraduate studies from Asbury who've been amazing. And uh, I'm looking to see what that area of study might uh, might do i personally have no interest in a phd I, like as in as in to me i'm just going to do what i'm doing yeah. regardless of the framework but what i've what i've understood is that the world needs us to write some of these things down they yeah. need us to have podcasts like this to pull these things together and so if that's the reason why and that's what that's what the university is saying is they want me to do this writing and, and they want me to be part of this kind of um program where I'm, I, I'm, there's a bit more public eye on what I'm writing on this stuff. And so the idea of actually spending some energy on how we reshape social finance is probably yeah. where, I'm, where I'm going with this. I mean, 
I think the world probably doesn't need another theologian getting a degree in theology, but I think we could probably use some theologians getting degrees in public finance and urban infrastructure. To me, that would be the dream. <laughs> Start a department and then let me come and join you, Graham. This is what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think your work, Stephen, in, in bringing theology outside of the seminary and outside of the church into the world is of absolute vital importance. And I think you know that a lot of seminaries uh, who are having the same leadership transition that I just described with the bishops, where we're getting younger leaders now taking over. You, you and I know a number of them. Uh, they are all saying, you know, we need to bring this out into the public sphere. By the way, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, you know, some of these podcasts and, you know, the way in which we're speaking, I, there was a seminary in Canada who, who had a podcast with a, a Christian finance leader, uh, denominational leader, and it was total rubbish. It was awful. You know, it was just, I, and I wrote to them and it was online. I wrote to them online. I said, this is not acceptable in the age of COVID for you guys to keep speaking like this. And the fact that, you know, if you publish a book or you publish a podcast, both are using your voice to get a message out and you need to peer review what you do. And I'm your peer and I'm reviewing it. And it's awful. This is not right. You know, and it was basically about congregations just bedding down and, you, you know, spending the rest of what's in their bank account and just trying to stay alive kind of thing. Instead of saying, hold on, this is not working. We need to stop wasting this money and use it more strategically. You know, don't keep spending money to prop up something that you know died. That was my counter message. Anyways, I got a call that night. I thought, okay, this is going to be difficult with my relationship with this seminary and with the, you know, anyways, it was not. And of course, it stirred great discussions. But what was even better was I got a call that night at nine o'clock from yep. the chairman of their investment committee of their pension fund. And he was shouting at me. He said, Graham, damn, I won't say all the expletives, but he said, you know, I've been saying this for years. He said, I've been saying this for years and nobody is listening. You know, and I thought, hold on. This is something important here, you know. And so, yeah, I think that we do need to. And, you know, in the, in the Church of England, for those who are listening in from England, the church commissioners has engaged several billion pounds in the renewal of the church. But that's the level of investment that the Church of England has. We all know it, but they've actually begun, begun to deploy that through the work of Bishop Rick Thorpe and the Closed Churches team of the church commissioners. You know, we're seeing this, but we've, as, as Bishop Sandy Miller said, sometimes you have to love and shove. <laughs> and Christian leaders who can speak anything in the realm of financial management, now is the time not only to love, yeah. but we've got to push. I believe. So, Graham, if there are some, we talked about how when you start to use your voice, sometimes you find fellow travelers, they come out of the woodwork. Hmm. So if a fellow traveler has heard what you're saying and is interested, where can they go to find out more about the work of the Trinity Centers or find out more of your ideas or what's going on? Yeah, if Direct you go on, go on. Yeah, on trinitycenters.org, we have a very good resources section, including an annotated bibliography of all of my doctoral studies uh, work. So anybody can tune into that. But so I, I would recommend some of the shortest things that I've written. Uh, you know, there's an article I wrote for Municipal World, which is the trade magazine for urban planners in Canada. It ended up being the front page article uh, of, of Municipal World. I, I, I'm a published the cover story of Municipal World is a big, big claim to fame. Um, but, you know, that was a short article talking about restating 
the social contract around Canada's places of faith. I would recommend that you you check that out. Um, there are some other short articles that I put in, in the news media that I think are pretty thoughtful. Um, if you're an academic and you want to get into some more of the, the theology of buildings and cities and the built environment, would love to connect. I myself have come across some very good research of other people way better and smarter than me that I could direct you to. And if you're somebody who's looking to do some of that, that push, if you're a bishop, let's say, or you're on a, you're on a diocesan committee or you're part of a, a large you know, resource church, I would say, please, please, please pray. Think deeply and, and do the thing that's on your heart. Don't stop. This is not a time to accept the status quo. This is a time. And, and if you want to start, Call some of the most thriving charities and nonprofits in your area and ask them, hey, are you struggling to pay the bills these days? What would it ever look like if you were to come and be based out of our building? Uh, and they said, we can't handle being in consecrated space because it's just, you know, it's against our, well, what if our space was deconsecrated a little bit? Mm-hmm. You know, what if, what would it look like? And begin yeah. to dream because as, as much as the church planting model from Holy Trinity Brompton is really not very complicated, I don't think what we're doing is very complicated either. No. Um, I, I want to say some parts of it, I want to say, don't try this at home, kids. Um, but the idea of sharing your space, start, start somewhere. Yeah. Graham saying this was a really good timely reminder that if you're going to renew your social and political imagination, you also have to involve the buildings in which you are doing your imagining. The built environment, the bricks and mortar, the land... It's all part of it, isn't it? So thank you very much, Graham. It's been a pleasure to have you on the program and I hope that we talk again soon. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Stephen. God bless you. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about Tenth Theology at www.tenththeology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.